Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. For this week's exchange, we return to the Bleep pop-up store for a conversation with Ian Anderson from the Designers Republic. The graphic design studio from Sheffield is arguably the most iconic in electronic music, responsible for countless designs for the likes of Aphex Twin, Orteca and The Orb. But the studio's work extends far beyond that niche. A generation was immersed in their aesthetic, thanks to video games like Wipeout, while they also count corporate clients like Adidas and Coca-Cola in their portfolio. Here Anderson is interviewed by Trevor Jackson, who's an important designer in his own right, for an extended conversation unpacking the finer points of Anderson's design philosophy and the intent driving some of his finest works. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Ian Anson from the Designers Republic is up next. Hello, Ian. Hello, Trevor. We, I'm trying to think, have we ever properly met before and had a chat? Yeah, we did uh, in Dublin. At a, a oh, camp. God. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell a story about that later. That was a good one. <laughs> um, I got to DJ because you fucked off. I did. Yeah. I can't, why, why did I go? I can't remember. I, I, I remember later. I'll, I'll tell everyone yeah. later. Yeah. But um, a lot of people here. It's good to see you all. Um, anyway, so I will start. I've got a bunch of questions. Kind of some for the nerds and kind of some for the people that might be listening that maybe don't know everything about you. But I wanted to start because you've got a book coming out through Unit Editions. And I was looking at the Kickstarter page and at the top it said the Designers Republic is the design group that changed design. And I'm just intrigued for someone that didn't have a design background how that feels to read that now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, 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 the real answer is that I'm not... I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm proud of what we achieved and... I don't. It, it's it's a really weird thing. I'm not. I've never been uh, a fan of other things or been in fan clubs. Um, I'm I'm just not predisposed to be a fan or to have favourites. Um, so uh, it, it's it's weird, and it's also. I mean, as, as Trevor said, I didn't study design. I had no. There was no plan. And maybe maybe that's part of the success. You know, that, that there's there's nothing that I feel that I need to achieve. Um, apart from satisfaction on each project and personal satisfaction um, in a design context, um, I, 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 it's difficult. It's really, as you can see, it's really difficult to to answer that because I, I you know, I'm I'm aware of of our influence, but it doesn't inform what we do. And one of the great things about um, being in Sheffield is there's not. I mean, there are other design companies. I've, I've heard. Um, but there are other design companies um, who do some like okay stuff and uh, we do okay stuff but it's not something there's no like design community so you don't get drawn into it and 
Um, you know, so like on a, on, you know, on a, on a Saturday, you know, uh, going to watch Sheffield Wednesday, you know, and, and the people that I know going to the football, um, you know, they have different jobs, they're not involved in design and, you know, they'll say, oh, what, what kind of week have you had? And I'll say, oh, I was designing something for such and such. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we had a big sale of steel to uh, Finland, you know, or, or, or something. That wasn't the same conversation every week, you know. It was, but it's that kind of thing, and they're not, so they're kind of interested, but not really interested. So it, it's a sort of a nice little thing that you can, that I can just occupy my time with during the week between football. <laughs> Going back to your early memories, I was wondering the first piece of graphic design you saw that had a huge influence on you. Turn that one down a little bit, yeah. Um, yeah, the first piece of design that had a big influence on you and maybe changed the way you actually thought about graphic design. I was talking, I mean, I'm going to answer the question in a roundabout way, typically. Um, but I remember I had a friend who, who did a lot of research into the way that we think, or the way people think. And they sort of said there's this thing called widescreen memory or widescreen thinking. And, and, and the, the difference is, is some people, you know, have memories that are based on, they remember facts and times. And then from that memory, they, they kind of, they can build a picture. And there's other people... I think like me, who I kind of absorb the things that I like or that I see as an ongoing thing. So I don't really remember kind of details. There was never, so you didn't pick up a record sleep and think? There's, there's things that I've liked, but I can't remember anything. I mean, there, there are things that, that are, you know, so being the age that I am, you know, there's uh, like, never mind the bollocks was sort of something, but because it stand out, it stood out and I was a teenager and it said bollocks. You know, and it, and it was really bright fluorescent colours, and I and I guess that if you look at a lot of our work, that the the, the fluorescent colour thing, you know, move forward. But I, it's, it it sounds really arrogant, and maybe it is, but I but I'm more interested in in my ideas, and I don't really look at other things. And quite often, when people say, "Oh, you know, that looks a bit like something else," it's it really is a coincidence, you know, because I'm not really interested specifically in in other graphic design it's just but i obviously like anybody i'm influenced in general but i mean how you there's not sort of any sort of fan things i mean i remember i remember i really liked um we were talking about it earlier the duty column first album with the sandpaper thing because it you know fucked up all the other record covers so i i like that and i t but i tend to respond i mean that's a good point because i tend to respond more to to an idea so the idea of it being the sandpaper cover and what it did you know and, and how it was a um it's it, because of what it was rather than how it looked but then you went from being a non-designer into designing there must have, i mean there must have been a i assume it wasn't just by default i assume there was a passion there which was built from something which must have drawn you to do it okay so i mean the, the, the basic story is that, that that i was so when i was at school i was in a, a punk band called the infrared helicopters and we were like a resident support band at a punk club in called in reading called bones and uh i used to do sort of like some flies and things for that and then we released a, a single when we all like left and you know did a real sort of punk thing like going to university and um so I did a cover for that, and that was just basically kind of it was. I mean, it was Spinal Tap before Spinal Tap. It was just black with some like typewritten stuff, but actually cut out of strips because that's all I knew how to do. And then I did some posters 
for that band and then I went to university and so I went to university so I had a post-punk band and, and I used to do the flyers and things for that because nobody else wanted to and I kind of just started enjoying it and then um, I put various events on and you know DJ and put in and promoted some bands you know and again so this is before um, if you can imagine a time before laptops you know BC before computers and it was um, and, I, and I, I just did those because no one else wanted to do it now every, every DJ has got a mate who's got a laptop that wants to do the flyers but nobody really wanted to do any flyers in those days um, you know so I mean I, I kind of I kind of grew into it uh, and in terms of like art and, and design probably the, the, the answer that you're looking for like at a moment and the, I think the moment was that, that I got interested in it, art or visual communication was um, my aunt was a, a member of a book club you know you got sent a book every month and if you didn't send it back you had to keep it and she got sent one uh, about Andy Warhol and didn't send, didn't send it back in time, and so I got it for Christmas. She thought I might like the bright colours. And, um, and I think that was a big... That was probably the, the moment when I kind of thought, I quite like some of this. But I, because I'd been chucked out of art before O-Level, you know, it wasn't something that I thought about doing. But I just kind of... It was just this thing of, like, I'm running a club, so I've got to do the flyers. I'm running a band, I've got to do a flyer. They are called leaflets or handouts then. And... Um, and then, I, and then I started managing a band that signed to Epic Records called Person to Person. Um, you know, and, and they said, oh, well, you know, why don't you do the artwork? Because, you know, you've done the artwork for the Flyers. So I kind of did that with uh, the people at the CBS art department. Um, and then some other bands asked me to do some stuff and then other bands. And then the band I was managing got dropped and split up. But more people were asking me to do record covers. So it, it just kind of grew and grew. And, and I think for like the first three years of Designers Republic, you know, we, we never said that we were designers. The whole name was a joke was that because I didn't study design and my uh, ex-partner um, has, has sort of dropped out of sculpture at Salter Lane Art College in Sheffield, Nick Phillips. And um, so none of us, neither of us had any real background in design, except I knew how I liked things to look um, and I, you know, had a nice collection of the Thames and Hudson, you know, little black spined art books. And I mainly bought those just because they look nice on the shelf if you had the whole, the whole lot. So, I mean, it, it just kind of grew and grew, you know, and there was never a point where we kind of said, OK, you know, we're designers now. We used to say, well, if somebody asked me what I did, I'd just say, oh, we, we, we just do record covers. And then, you know. You look at your work now, which is so far more considered. So for me, it's quite an interesting journey to go from work, which was quite, as I said, not matter of fact, but it was just work, to now be at a stage and to be at a point where some of the work you're doing is so complex and so designed, you know? Was there, what point, was there a point when things shifted? I didn't study design. I, I, I kind of, I did, I did philosophy at University of Sheffield. And I think that my, my interest in design has always been everything other than what it looks like really it, it needs to it, if it's good design it's good because it needs to communicate something so i'm more interested in the, in the problem solving and the engagement and how you engage an audience uh sort of consumerist issues you know is, issues of like you know truth and perspective and and why do we think what we think and why do we believe what we believe you know um and so there's lots of things that like that that inform what 
what I do as a designer. So it's it's not really. I mean, a lot of it, you know, because it's detailed. There, you know, it, you could see it as as surface, but for me, it's not. It's it's the it's the communication of of an idea, and because I probably think too much, then there's a lot of ideas in there. Okay. And, I, and I guess as you go as you get older, as as one gets older, of course I never do, but as but as one as one gets older, you know how how you think and how you react to your environment and your situation kind of changes, you know. And um, I, I I guess the work, you know, evolves. It's interesting. I think in some ways, we, you started out a little bit before me, but our work, our careers have kind of run in parallel in a way. And for me. I mean, both of our work when it started off was quite playful and quite cartoony and quite colourful, and then it's shifted slightly more minimalistic, I'd say. Yeah. And I have my own personal reasons why that happened. I suppose I'm just trying to wonder if there was a point where you said, no, no, enough of this. I've got to start being serious, or I've got to start applying my ideas in a different way. I think the reality is is that is that there's never there's never a point in my life. There's never a point like that where where sort of a, a significant change happens. I kind of. I kind of drift, you know, it's, 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 it's the same thing when people say, oh, you know, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And I think if I knew that, I'd do it now. I'm not going to hang around for five years waiting for this, you know, kind of big kind of epiphany. So, I, I, so to a degree, I kind of just drift. There's never really been a plan. We just react to kind of what's around us. And also you were working, I mean, I was working alone and you had other designers working with you. So they must have had a, obviously an influence on the studio and... Yeah, on, right? yeah. I think you know it, it's my, my my main interest. I think has really been Designers Republic as an idea, you know, and and what we do, and and I guess from being in bands and managing bands, then it was always. I mean, the first, you know, when we did our first like photo shoot, you know, sort of publicity photo shoot for Designers Republic, you know, we decided Nick and I decided that we were going to you know dress like Gilbert and George. Uh, you know, and that, and so, so that kind of thing was always more of an influence than than looking at other designers. It's like designers, but it was like a band, or it was a, it was a something, you know, not just people designing. It's never really been that. It's you know, so, so, so getting other designers in, you know, there's there's a, it's getting the right designers, the people that understand what I want out of something, and and, and understanding how to connect with the concept of designers republic. You know, and finding people that, that kind of can take that and then add something of their own, not just come in and just do what you want, you know, but bring something extra to the table. But it's always, it's, I've always kind of tried to carefully curate what they'll bring. Because I personally, I've, I've never had a, a, a design company as such. It's pretty much been myself and an assistant because I've always either found it very hard to delegate. I've found that if I've had people working with me, sometimes it doesn't feel like me anymore. I want it to be personal. And also, I didn't want to encroach upon someone else's creativity too much that I'm forcing them to do something, my vision, not their own. So I've always struggled heavily with trying to find people to work with. But you did it very well. I think it's because, um, again, because I didn't study to be a, you know, or, or train to be a graphic designer. And I'm, I, as I say, I'm more interested, you know, in the ideas of what we're doing and why. And it's partly... You know, an altruistic thing where you know giving people space to do what they want as long as they understand the parameters that I want them to work within so if they don't understand that then they're not going to last very long but if they do understand it then I, I think you know you, you you give someone freedom it's like if you're art directing 
uh, a photographer on a shoot, you know, you don't want to be kind of saying, oh, can you just move to the left a bit or to the right? You need to kind of inspire them to do something that you want them to do. Delegation is difficult in a creative context, but I think, as I say, it was all about the idea of Designers Republic rather than each specific design, you know. So I was often quite happy if, if someone could, could do my idea better than I could do it myself then, you know, why would I bother? Yeah, of course. Um, my personal introduction to your work and two of my favourite things you did that I first saw was actually a person-to-person cover and I think um, Picnic at the White House, you did a sleeve for that with all these great little logos on it and I think it was one of the first things I've ever seen with a spot varnish on it. I think you did a really complicated thing with a spot varnish and I know both of us have a kind of passion for special colours and pantones. It's something that maybe in a digital age and many new designers don't get the chance to play around with. For me, there's nothing more exciting than getting out the Pantone book and doing this. And I've worked with designers recently, and they, have, they really don't understand how print works in that way, or trying to replicate a neon on the screen or a metallic. And I'm like, you can't, you can't do it. No. There's a lot of stuff that, that happened as a result of the fact that we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, we took, in, we took interns in so that you know, we could learn how to use sort of software and stuff like that. And, and, and so everything that we did in the, in the, in the early days was kind of black and white but it was because we didn't know how to add color we didn't know about markup or anything like that so it was just black and white and we kind of made that a feature so we started working with a label in Sheffield called Fon Recordings and that was all about being black and white and then and then sort of it got to the point where uh, we did a single cover for Age of Chance and they said oh it needs to be a bit more colorful so we were still designing it I mean in fact I still you know, design in black and white, really, and then sort of colour in. I mean, sometimes I don't, but I mean, it, you know, it, it's a comfortable way for me to work, you know, to to think of, like, the form and the reasons for doing it, and then, you know, and then you sort of, like, you know, paint by numbers or, or whatever. A lot of things that I saw that I liked, you know, I, I didn't really know anything about it. So spot varnish was I saw, I saw something... I'd never seen that before. To be honest, I think that was the first thing I ever saw that had a spot varnish on. <laughs> but, but the fact was, I just, we just saw something. I thought, that's quite nice. We'll do that. And then so we did that. And then, and then with Age of Chance, you know, it was like, okay, each one is going to wants to be like, we, Amrit, who used to run Fon Records, you know, so I said, why don't we do like four or five different colorways? You know, it was, it was you know, in the 80s when there were like loads of formats, etc. So, you know, we, we didn't really know about CMYK or anything, but someone had given us a Pantone swatch book. You know, we thought, oh, you know, this, you know, 801, 802, 83, or the, or the fluorescence, they look nice. And if we're, we're going to move away from black and white, let's go really bright colour. So we're just like happily, you know, specking things up with like four or five fluorescents, you know, and without having any idea of any cost implication, it's just, it's just pantones you know so that's what it is you know and and, and basically kind of clients would go like well you know flavor of the month designers republic you know if they say you know three pan, you know three fluorescents and a metallic you know and possibly a deboss then then that's what we're going to go with you know no and and it wasn't i think it wasn't until like sort of two years into doing this you know that that someone said you know this is like costing a lot of money <laughs> you know we're like it's not costing us any money. <laughs> and, and I think that, and I think so a lot of things that we did, were, you know, a kind of a really fortuitous or beautiful accidents because we didn't know. 
and then, and then also if you look at some of the other early sort of uh, you know the joys of like repro yeah. I'm going to a repro house you know and we were doing really really complex things like the first Nightmares on Wax album is just a black and white drawing and then we're going you know with K-Trace overlay you know we're just sort of saying this bit has to be you know putting in the colour values or whatever you know and, and again that, that's we didn't know any other way and we didn't know anything about it really and then you know, Warp came back and sort of said, you know, it's just cost us nine grand to do the repro on that album. And I'm, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know how much a cheap one is. I mean, you know, it, we, we'd never, and, and, and I, I guess that I've continued in that way that if there's certain processes, it's not, I mean, with certain clients, you know, and with smaller labels now, I feel some responsibility to try and help them and understand what they can have and what they can't have for a cost. But, but otherwise, it's, you know, the less you know, the, you know, the more inclined you are to to do whatever you want really and 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 i think and i think again not studying i mean i would I, I, when i when i teach you know i kind of i try to say to my students you know it's it was it was like a one-off unique thing that we got to where we are you can't say well design well ian anderson didn't study design so i'm just gonna like toss it off and not do it you know like what he did there's a lot of things that we that we've done that people saw as like rule breaking you know, and, and doing something different. But to us, it was just, it just came natural. We didn't know we were breaking any rules. We just thought we were, you know, colouring in, really. I mean, because for me, the, 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 the unsung heroes of that time were some of those repro guys that I never got to meet, but I'd have the print people turning up with wet proofs and they'd show you, you would literally be, I mean, I did work sometimes. It was on like 10, 12 different layers marking yeah. it up and you had no, I, I never visited their one. I had no idea how it was done. Even to this day, I don't quite know exactly how they did it. And the printer would come in with a proof, be so angry with you, and like, what? We spent like four fucking days doing this. And yet, you just had no idea. And now they look back and go, God, we were so lucky to be involved in that project. You know, it, it's, it's, it's true, that whole repro thing. But I remember um, the way that I learned about typography was, was actually doing the, the... I started to learn about typography. Of course, we never stopped learning. But, you know, the... Um, was that picnic at the White House thing. And, and I, you know, I'd never... I didn't know about marking up for type. Again, no, you couldn't, they didn't have a laptop or anything. You couldn't just type it in. You know, so everything's like typed out on a bit of paper and then like marked up, specked up. My original things was sending it to, I think it was a company called Alphabet or something. Uh, anyway, um, and they did like photo setting. And, um, but my sort of things were like, you know, I want these letters to be two millimetres high, one millimetre wide, a millimetre and a half between each letter. Da, da, da. And they just kind of said, you know, look, if you're going to be using us on a regular basis, can you just come in and we'll teach you how to spec up for type? Because it's going to be spending a day showing you how to do that is a better use of our time than spending like two days trying to work out what it is that you're asking us to do. So, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, like that, where how I learned stuff really, you know, on, in a... Well, because you had to, you know, and if you and if you're asked, being asked to do like record covers and things, then you know, you need to kind of get your act together, don't you? Totally. Um, I was wondering, do you feel an in-house style is an asset or a hindrance over time? I'm aware that 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 you know, over a period of time, there's a certain, you know, there is a certain identifiable look to things that we've done, even if it's an even it's a if it's a look that's evolved. Um, and quite often, you know, I'd, I'll deliberately go back and revisit something because I think if if everybody else is ripping us off, we might as well rip ourselves off. Yeah. Um, but it's also, it's, I mean, as you, you know, as as I get older, I, I look back and there are certain things, and I I almost 
I can still remember why I did something, but I almost don't, this is like deep, I don't recognise the person that made those decisions, you know, like, I, so I started when uh, I was like, what, 25, and now I'm a bit older, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily kind of think of uh, like, like a 25-year-old person anymore. So, I mean, I, I'm aware that there's, a, there's an in-house style, but it, but it was never something that we kind of said, you know, you, it has to look a certain way. It, it, for me, it's always been about you know, attitude and approach and output. So that's what has, that, that's the key thing. So, that, so if you've got a certain mix of people in your studio at a particular time, then the way that they um, react to that direction, you know, it, it's going to have a sort of certain look. And I think, and when I, I mean, we so we're doing, you know, we're doing the, we're doing the book, at last, and um, going back to archive stuff, you know, and, and I sort of see more now about the in-house aesthetic, as as was as is, and I see that more now. At the time, we never really thought about it. It was, it was just kind of what we did. When you're doing a lot of stuff for like dance music or which is kind of fairly anonymous you know which is why we you know both of us kind of got asked to do certain things you do all the champion stuff didn't you know and you know so there isn't any there's no direction coming from the artist or from the label it's just can you do you know a cover so we used to get to the point where the reality is is that we were that the in-house aesthetic came from the fact that we were still working through ideas and we hadn't sort of rinsed these ideas out so that you know somebody's one one person's record cover or, or piece of design was was maybe like a, an evolution of, of somebody else's not that we were you know sort of trying to fob them off with something we'd already done but but it was very much about what we were doing and ideas we were exploring so that you know if you came to us on a certain time in like you know 1989 or you know, it could be any year, I just chose that. You know, but it was a kind of a designer's republic thing. And, and one of the things about being in Sheffield and away from everything else and just being kind of isolated was that, you know, we, it's always been a playground for us. And even now, like with bigger, more corporate clients, you know, the ones, the projects where it works best is where we're given the space to, to play. And the, the times it doesn't work is when a client kind of shows us a whole load of work that, that they think is good. And it's good because we were playing and then they tell it they kind of try and dictate how you should do the work you know and you, i mean you mentioned like in the you know on social media you know but about the idea of like kind of can you make the font size different or things like that you know it's if you want the best out of out of creatives who work best playing then let let people play really thanks for listening um you mentioned being ripped off is imitation the highest form of flattery, though? Uh, well, Especially coming from sample... I mean, yourself, I see you coming from the era of sample culture. Yeah. So most of the sleeves you did the early ones, not ripped off, but certainly yeah, inspired yeah. by things around you. So Yeah, I, I, I think that, that there's, a different, there's a difference between being inspired by something and wanting to take that and make something of your own. And, and then, or just copying. So, so for me, you know, there's the, the classic example of of that pastiche kind of thing was the cover for London Calling by The Clash, which was a direct ripoff of the of an Elvis Presley cover. But the beauty of that was that it it worked much better if you knew 
that it was that pastiche. You know, that, that, that was the engagement. It's not, no one was trying to hide it. So I think that, but I think for me, you know, if there's an idea there, uh, you know, in the first place, and then to express that idea, you know, the designer chooses to pastiche something else, and it's a knowing, open reference. I think that's, I think that's fine. That's just how it goes, it, which is very different to sort of passing off. I mean, I think that the, the biggest, the, the thing that pisses me off the most about people just, like, just copying is that is, as designers, we have an opportunity to kind of to create stuff or engage with audiences and we have a lot of freedom to look through our ideas. And so the thing that pisses me off the most is that if you get a designer that has the opportunity and all they do is just copy something else, it's a waste of their time or whatever talent they have. It's, it's, just, it's just a waste. And so that's the thing that pisses me off the most. Apart from like, you know, any financial thing where, you know, someone's, you know, getting dollar for RAC. Gatecrasher. Just saying. A lot of your early work was inspired by Japan, and you hadn't been to Japan at that The time. country, not the band. So I was wondering, the fact you're inspired by Japan, where were you getting those Japanese influences from, pre-internet? Um, and also, the fact your work got embraced in Japan must have been quite flattering, no? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it, the, the, the Japanese influence is like, kind of, is like threefold. And if you look back, you know, if you're old enough to look back, um, if not, you just have to take my word for it. But I mean, it, it's it, it, the, the initial influence was Blade Runner, you know, and no, I always say no Blade Runner, no Designers Republic. It was, a, you know, just big TVs in the street and things like that. But so the, and so watching Blade Runner it just seemed to be like a kind of parallel universe. And then there's another uh, another reason um, was that you know for you know mid twenty mid twenties boys, young men in a northern provincial city. You know, um, it just seemed like all the really cool gadgets and boys' toys came from Japan. You know, so it, and by default, the future, you know, the Japanese culture seemed, or modern Japanese culture to us seemed to be an expression of the future. So like ever sort of smaller Walkmans, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So like, you know, Japan just seemed, was a real, was a shortcut to expressing visually or in design terms, a shortcut to, to expressing the future. So it's a shorthand for the future in a lot of ways. And the other thing was that I, I, I guess one of the things that's always informed what I do, um, and maybe it's, you know, one of the philosophy books that I might have skimmed when I was at university, but it's all about kind of communication and, and legibility and this idea of, you know, how far can you abstract typographic communication before it becomes unintelligible? It, I mean, we could have used any, we could have used like, you know, Cyrillic or Hebrew or, or something, but we used Japanese typography, you know, to sort of, and quite often what we would do, we would just take like the closest looking kanji or katakana, uh, you know, sort of characters to like English. So with that stuff we do with Populate itself was really just like, you know, going through Japanese type books and finding letter forms that looked vaguely like a P or a W, an E and I, you know. Uh, and if there weren't any, then we would just, you know, appropriate and, and, and adapt it into something that kind of, you know, looked legible. But there's this whole idea that, 
if you look at like brands, you know, that kind of, if you see McDonald's in Japanese or Coca-Cola in Thai or something, you still recognize it. And, um, and that was, it was, it was interesting. The first, so we did a lot of stuff based on, on modern Japanese culture and typography, you know, sort of future stuff, post Blade Runner, blah, blah, blah. But then the first time I went to Tokyo, it was like, just really, it's really weird because you, you kind of reckon you could tell what kind of shop you were looking at, even though you couldn't read it. Um, and we had all sorts of, like, you know, interesting adventures, I think. Um, but there was, there's, a, there's a big store called uh, Marui, which means Circle One. And then they, and like, they had a second department store nearby, so it's Circle One, Circle One. <clears throat> Marui, Marui. I mean, my pronunciation is probably way off, but anyway. But, you know, for this big logo, circle and a one, a circle and a one. So for like the first sort of year or so of going to G uh, Tokyo quite regularly, and I'd always say, you know, where should we meet? And people say, well, where do you know? And we say, okay, well, we know Oi Oi. And like, no one understood what Oi Oi was because we just thought, we just thought that's what it is. Um, so I, so I, I like, I, I like all, the, all that kind of, you know, what, what is true truth is based on uh, perspective and context and 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 typography you know uh, amplifies that so i think that's that's the real influence of of japan it wasn't it wasn't even the country really it was just i i guess it's it's just sort of a parallel universe you know it's those sci-fi films where you wake up and you know everything's the same but backwards or something you know but it's odd to take um visual references from i mean I, all right i think about another example if you're making uk hip-hop America would always laugh at you. You'd take elements from hip-hop, but you'd take it back to them and they'd laugh at you. But you took elements from Japan visually and, and they accepted it. And that's kind of quite unusual. Well, what, I mean, we, so we had a big show at uh, the Ginza Graphic Gallery, I think 2011. You know, and some of these, like, really well-respected, like, you know, old Japanese designers, you know, all wanting to stand up and do a little sort of, you know, have a little speech at the opening. And I didn't understand any of it, but, you know... Uh, uh, just at the back, you know, having a beer. But but apparently what they were, they were saying that the Designer Republic's influence in Japan and for young Japanese designers was really significant because in Japanese culture, they have a very different uh, attitude towards copying. You know, it is, uh, for them, you know, it is like flattery. And, you know, so if you get a guitarist and you can play Hendrix perfectly, no one says you're ripping Hendrix off. Hendrix off. Um, or somebody might, but in general... <laughs> they don't. I don't know everybody that's there, um, but but in general, you know, they just it's just well done. That's a really good kind of copy. So there's a so within like modern Japanese culture, there is a, a sort of there is a culture of copying, and it's a it's seen as a good thing. And so they quite often, you know, look, young Japanese designers like you know would look to, I suppose, like the West or whatever Europe or and, and the States for for influence. Because that was sort of seen to be a, a better thing to do, whereas we were kind of going back, having you know appropriated their culture or used used Japanese imagery uh, to express something that we wanted to, which they which these these guys were saying, it's great because it's kind of given young Japanese designers a sort of sense that you know that, that their culture you know is equal. I'm not doing it word for word, you know. In the 90s, I remember I took a conscious step back from design because 
I couldn't think of anything worse than being stuck in a room with a bunch of designers talking about leading and kerning. It was being like with a bunch of train spotters. And yet now, um, designers become kind of sexier and in the process become like a, a lifestyle aesthetic in a way. Um, through the process, how do you feel about that? See, we never really had that kind of... We never, we, never, yeah, we never had kerning in Sheffield. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, given the context and say, you know, the, the, the Designers Republic's day was usually kind of based around what music we were playing, you know, on the hi-fi, you know, and why we were doing stuff and what music we were listening to. And, and it was a real sort of social event, you know, and, and, and anybody that kind of started talking, you know, too technically, you know, you just, you know, we just used to have like a sort of siren thing, you know, just like call the, call the design police, you know. So you encourage, you know, I encourage people to like do the best design, but just don't talk about it all the time, you know. And you know, in the nineties, there was a, you know, it was really kind of the design republic as a group, and we kind of worked, you know, we worked late basically because we'd been arsing around all day, so we had to kind of work late, and then we'd all go out for a drink together, and you know, and it was so it was just, you know, I I, I guess the, the the parallel is if you're in a band, you know. And you, hold, and you all hang out together as a gang. You know, you don't talk about chord progressions, you know, and things like that. And it was the same, it was the same for us. So, and I, and I guess it's, it's probably true to say that, that anyone that sets up a company in any way, but especially a creative company, that it's unavoidable that you set it up in your own image, no matter how much you try not to. There's going to be a sort of sense where, you know, what we're doing, boss or some other nonsense. Yeah, no, I, I mean, well, you, Again, you got into design through necessity, but now a yeah. lot of people are getting design just through a lifestyle choice. Mm. Like they get into the music, you know, people work in record yeah, yeah. companies because they think it's cool. Yeah. They just want to go and party. People get into design because a lot of people now it's so easy to do. Yeah. You can fit into that framework and that lifestyle and it's kind of quite comfortable for people, which is very different from what we had when we were younger. I think, I think it's true. I mean, there are some students that I teach who probably sort of consider themselves... They've decided to be a designer, so they go and do a graphic design course. But in their own mind, they're a designer anyway. But beyond that, now you can yeah. go online and buy the outfit all from one shop. They'll tell yeah, yeah. you the hat to wear, the T-shirt yeah, yeah, yeah. to wear. So, I mean, from that angle, it's completely... Yeah, but I think that's, I think that's, that's not just design. I think that's, yeah. that's... You know, we live in a lifestyle world, man. <laughs> Listening to podcasts, craft beer... And one thing we show in common is Michael Place. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, because he worked for me before, yeah. he came to you. Did he have any bad habits that when he came to you that you kind of knocked out of him working with me? Do you remember? Uh, I don't even remember. To be honest with you, I, he says he worked for me. I can't even remember him working for me. <laughs> this is a thing. It must have been a really, I don't know, maybe four or five months or something. I can't I don't remember. think he was with you for long. No. Yeah. Not really. Uh, Good. Not that I can talk about here. No, I mean, there, I mean, there isn't really. I mean, I knew that he'd worked for you you know, on, on, on certain things. But, I mean, it, it, again, it's... People were coming into Designers Republic, which was kind of almost like a, a, you know, a, a ready-formed gang, yeah. you know. And, it, and, it, and again, it, it, it wasn't an arrogant, an arrogant thing that kind of, you know, we're better. It's just that kind of we weren't really interested greatly in what other people were doing. You were quite competitive, though. I got the feeling there was a sense of that, no? I, I think that it was more playing a game. So we weren't really competitive in, t in design terms. But it's a little bit like, you know, again, everything kind of re reverted back to my own experience was really being in bands or managing bands. And so there's a kind of, comp 
competitiveness in in bands that that you know it's you make your own music I, you know i guess and or, or whatever and you want to and i guess if you're putting albums out you want to sell quite a lot and sometimes you know you need to sell to, to sell quite a lot you need to sell more than somebody else you know success is based on kind of what you own or what you earn or what you make relative to other people not what in terms of your own ambition i guess so, so we were, but it was much more about, you know, pushing this idea of designers republic and, and and playing the game of, you know, um, you know the whole work by consume die and and all these kind of things. Uh, I don't think it, I don't think it was really being competitive with other with other design groups particularly. It was just about playing the game of getting getting ourselves. You know, out there because that was all I really knew. You know, you you're in a pre band. social media, pre everything to having to get your yeah yeah message out there. Yes, but it but it but it was more the game and the idea of it. You know, in the same way of like you know that the idea of like are we going to dress like Gilbert and George? It just seemed that kind of it, because I didn't have a design background, designing stuff wasn't enough. We had to be like a group, and we had to be visible, and we had to be seen, and that that's kind of what that's that was kind of the fun bit really. Your music clients now, is it, do you do a lot of stuff outside of Warp? Yeah, well, we wise? don't do enough inside Warp. That's the problem these days. Um, but I was just wondering, because there's obviously been such a huge shift in the, the way the music industry works. For me, when I first started as a teenager, it was exciting. There were personalities like people now that probably wouldn't get jobs anymore, mm. people that would be throwing things out of windows. It was pretty crazy. Um, and you walk into a record label now, it's like walking into a bank. A lot of them. I mean, I, I did a... Well, they are banks, they, aren't they? Well, they are, yeah, yeah. In a way. But I did a job for a major independent, independent last year, and there was a contract, and in the contract, it said, we can't guarantee we will put your name on, this, on the artwork. And this is a, a fairly big independent. Mm. And it's, how things have changed is just ridiculous. And yeah, just, yeah, but how you tell people to fuck off hasn't changed, has it? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. that's still the same it's just that we can't guarantee your name's going on it I can't guarantee I'm going to put the artist's name on it there and when it comes in cop copyright how does it work with copyright for you because I remember there were, do you retain your copyrights or do you do a buyout on the copyrights on what you do for, for music stuff now we're into our 33rd year and to be honest it, it, it's because the music industry has changed and, you know, you know the parameters you're working within and you know what the, that the budgets are smaller in general, you know, then... Um, I mean, I can remember when we did, you know, did stuff for, like, your major labels, you know, you do a, uh, an album and three singles, was like 30 grand. Yeah. You know, you tell the kids that these days. And <laughs> um, but I've got to the point now where I'm more interested in... You know, people say, what's your favourite job? And then the answer is always going to be the next one. Because you've got, you know, blank canvas options. And I think as a designer, the things I cherish the most, you know, are, are options. And as I've got older, I, I, mean, I don't really... I do care about intellectual property, of course, but, you know, it used to be kind of someone would say, you know, can you design a seven-inch cover and pay you for that and then go and get someone else to take the artwork and make a 12-inch this, that and the other. And that was, that was a, an issue. But in, but in general, people don't do that now because they just want you to do the whole lot. You know, you don't get that whole thing. And, and I'm not expecting to kind of to do all the ads because there aren't really going to be press ads because there aren't really going to be any it's press ads. It's more like merchandise now because they're not making money from sales. So no. if you do an artwork for someone and they do a, you do a buyout, they might only sell 500 records, but they could sell 5,000 yeah. T-shirts off of your design. And I think that's where 
the copyright now or at least excluding merchandising rights becomes very important yeah i mean we so we we the only thing that we sort of say is that if if you if you ask us to design like you know vinyl cd you know that that it is for that only so you you only get the rights to use it for the things specified you know uh in the contract or even if it's not a contract the agreement or in, in an email or whatever and i think that's i think that's you know important but then again because budgets are so much smaller you know i don't want to go to war with someone over getting like sort of 300 quid for a couple of press ads you know what i mean you can just go and do get someone else to do it you know so I think I think my attitude has, has changed. The music industry has changed, and my attitude has changed in that kind of it's it's you know it, it's a different kind of thing. It's it, I used to think that kind of I never I, that nobody could ever do the Designers Republic book about apart from the Designers Republic, which is why it never happened because we were always too busy doing something else. And then as I, I you know, but now I kind of think. I kind of quite like someone else to get involved and sort of see what their perspective is. And it's the same, I'm just not so precious. I'm more precious about creating possibilities and potential for doing new projects or for, or for getting new experiences for myself. And if somebody, you know, because, because there's not really many instances for us where someone's going to, you know, make a fortune on, on the merchandise. It, it, it's, it is an issue, but in real terms, it, it, it doesn't sort of seem to be such an issue as it used to be for us, you know. Okay. I, I mean, and, and, and to be honest, sometimes I'd just rather get on with something new, you know, rather than having a battle with a client about, you know, rights for this and rights for that. I'm just like, yeah, just take it and give us some more work, you know. Okay. Um, I was wondering how you survive in an industry full of more and more hungry new designers willing to do work for little or nothing. Well, we do work for little, for little yeah, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, you know, as, as as time goes on, the people that we work with kind of evolve, and sometimes that evolution takes them away from us naturally to work with younger people. Um, sometimes, you know, when you've grown up with a client, say or Tecker, you know that there's that they 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 are older in the same way that I'm older. So, like a you know a new young designer with lots of new ideas, you know, isn't necessarily going to satisfy what they want from a project and, I, and I, but by the same token i think that it's you know i think it's really important that there are you know young new eager designers and that young new eager bands should work with them you know i mean it's not to say that i don't want the work you know and that i couldn't do a good job and I mean, it's not just music it's you know it's, it's any kind of any clientele design, you yeah. know um so I think there, there, are, there are certain things that, that I can do better uh, because Designers Republic is 33, and so am I. Yeah, but you, but you know that. But now within a, a lot of your clients commissioning you will be maybe half your age. Mm. Do they care? A lot of people don't, they don't care anymore. To be honest, we're old. <laughs> to be honest with you, you know, I mean, it's yeah. great we've got people sitting here, yeah. but in the greater scheme of things, when it comes to contemporary design... There are a lot of other people people would rather come to than us. Yeah, and that's but, the reality. But it, it doesn't bother me. It's a fact. But but I think that's I think that's as it should be. Um, but there's enough stuff for us to be doing. You know, so I mean, we we kind of like mutated, and we know we've, we do corporate stuff. You know, with people like Audi and Coca Cola, and we still bring like a, you know a, a, a different. It's it's not like we've suddenly just become like Pentagram or something. You know. Um, 
so we've still got the same attitude and we're still kind of, you know, the wild card in all these things because of personalities involved. I mean, everybody could do with a bit more work, but there's also that thing where, you know, if somebody if somebody's looking, you know, for the, the young eager designer that's going to go and hang out and go on tour with them and you know get pissed with them and, and do all the stuff that we used to do with bands like Properly itself and Age of Chance and all you know blah blah blah, then you know I, I don't really want to be that person. You know, it's not it's not me anymore. You know, unless it's just sort of like a bottle of you know craft beer and then and then home. Do you remember the first time a piece of your work was rejected? You must have had some in some of this. Yeah, I was trying to think. Um, no, I don't. I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of the concept of work being rejected. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that, that I've had that experience. Do you ever pitch for things? No. We, 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 uh, I think a couple of times we pitched. Um, if, there was a, if there was a budget, if there was a pitch budget, kids... Then, uh, then we pitched, and we didn't always win them. I, I can't. I, I mean, I, I can't really remember. I just put it out of, out of my mind. You know, it's like. But I, again, it's, it's when the young designers republic, you know, mortally offended, and you know, um, wounded by any kind of rejection, or, or, or I mean, even, not even rejection, even a client saying, "Well, we really like working with you, but we're not sure." That it should be orange. We thought maybe it should be blue, you know. And, and it's, and, you know, you just think like it wasn't even like I feel hurt. I just kind of I feel hurt for you because you're wrong, <laughs> you know. And, it, and there was that kind of thing because it, you know, it, if anyway, and it's not so much about arrogance. It, it of course it is about arrogance, um, but it's not so much about like it's my way or the highway. It's just like I've thought about this. Give me the credit for I've thought about this. And there's a reason that we've chosen certain fonts or certain colours. And you've just looked at it and gone like, oh, I don't like that. Or, or um, we, we had like, we had one where, you know, it, there, was, there was a client, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter who it was, but sort of said, oh, you know, yeah, my wife, my wife didn't really like it very much. And, and, and my son wants to be a graphic designer. So he's done something, you know, he's, he's still at school. And you sort of think, okay, well, if, but, it, but I then think if that's, if you're the kind of person who kind of, judges things in that way if that's how you're making your decisions then I don't really want to be working with you anyway and sometimes you know it's like personal relationships boyfriends girlfriends pets you know it's it's that sort of thing where if it's not working there's no point kind of pursuing it and there are times when there's a big budget involved so that kind of sometimes you know causes a cash flow problem if you you know if you if if you tell them to fuck off and they do um <laughs> I just think, well, if it's not working, when I don't, I don't want to sort of spend my my life. You know, as you say, you're going back to this thing about design. You probably it was a lifestyle thing. We did it because we wanted to do it and we had fun. And if it's not fun, there's no point doing it. So you, it's better just to kind of dip out and find someone that you can have fun with. When you talk about we now, who does it consist of? Uh, right now, so there's um, there's me, um, and then there's a guy called Johnny and a girl called Ashley. Uh, that's the sort of so that we're the sort of you know designers, but 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 kind of what happened after we went bust in two thousand and nine? Well, I mean that was that was a hideous time because we got to had, had like twenty five staff, you know, and you just think, oh yeah, I I didn't really get into it for this. And you know, so basically, you look. I used to look around the office and think, I'm only employing these people to do work for clients that I'm only doing to pay for these people. 
who were there and you, you think like you know, so that didn't go too well and eventually went sort of went bust but and when I started again you know sort of you know which was like sort of the next week to, um, after going through the courts and da 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 and carrying on designing people used to say like oh well, designers your public's like gone bust what are you going to do now and it's like I don't know I think I'll be a baker <laughs> I mean it's like what do you think I'm going to do you know but anyway um, after everything was paid off and you know we, we, we carried on I kind of got to the point where I was kind of quite scarred by the fact that kind of I take my eye off the ball and at a studio of 25 people with account execs and account managers and art directors and things. And I just thought, oh, fuck off. You know, it's difficult for it to be all about me when there's 25 people. And I think the reality is that... that because of the vision and you know, the turnover of staff, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that, it, that I realised that, you know, I couldn't step back really as much as I wanted to. That when, when, when it was like, you know, the 90s, when Mike was there and, and Matt Pike and everything, you know, it was coming down from me and then getting them to sort of work to their best ability to do what they wanted to do along the lines of what, you know, so I'd kind of get the brief, filter the brief through to them, you know, and then they'd do their, work their magic on it. But now, so it's more, I don't know, it's because it's smaller, it kind of is more about my creative direction or art direction rather than, I don't really want to get a studio full of people going off and doing their own thing anymore. I want them to, you know, flex their creative muscle and, and juices and all that sort of thing, you know, based on the things that I, I want us to do. You still do hands-on design yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all the time. So what would we have seen recently that has been mainly your stuff, your own work? All the Orteca stuff, you know. No one, no one gets to touch Orteca. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a it's a question of degree. So uh, if you think about the 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 T-shirts that you know that we've just done with Bleep that sold out in five minutes. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but anyway, but so. It's, it's my idea to do that and for the reasons why, et cetera, et cetera, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But hands-on, I didn't do that because I've got someone that works with me that can glitch things better. So, it, again, it's like how much... I, I don't sort of feel that, that being hands-on is that big a deal, you know, unless, you, you know, unless you're into the craft of something. But, you know, it's Damien Hurst doesn't paint every spot himself, you know, and all those sorts of things. I mean, yeah, I'm like, you know, same sort of level. But, you know, you don't, I, so for me, my interest is in the idea and the reason why, the problem solving, you know, and, and if somebody can, can do that better, in the same way that I don't do a photo shoot myself because I, people can take a better photo than me to my direction. So, so the hands-on thing, you know, I, I quite, I, you know, I do enjoy doing it, but if there was a situation where I could literally just like, you know, have a group of people sat around and I just kind of went around saying, OK, now can, now can you move that? Oh, I'm not sure about that. Can you do this? There's no value per se for me in, in, in the hands on thing. I just quite like doing it. I quite like you know, farting about doing fonts and, you know, and that sort of thing, you know. So, I, so again, right, right from the beginning, I, I, I do it because I wanted to do it and because I enjoy doing it and because I can't sleep. You know, so I kind of just sit up late nights doing stuff, mainly design, but, you know. <laughs> um, with artists like Orteca and, and um, Richard, 
how much involvement do they have in the work in terms of do they treat you like a collaborator? They let you do your thing, or they're very specific about references or a direction. I mean, artists you've worked with for a long time. So. Yeah, I mean, I think every every I think the beauty is that every creative relationship is different. Just like you know, when we're doing stuff with uh, like Coca Cola, and people say, "What's it like working with Coca Cola?" I mean, I, I don't know. I know what it's like working with James or with Craig or Rafa. You know, I, I, I know that relationship, and I know that they're kind of guided by company things what they need to do but i mean you don't you don't kind of go and stand outside you know coke towers in atlanta and engage you know full frontally with like an organization or, or something and i think that then the same thing kind of goes down so that nearly every relationship that we have creatively and and and, and you know especially the ones that have lasted a long time you know they're they're different and you know so that the relationship with Ortec, I would sort of say, is that they trust me to do what I think should be done based on, you know, quite a lot of phone conversations and email exchanges. And so the main, the way that I, I, I tend to work is that I'm not really influenced by the music. I'm, I'm influenced by the reason behind why that music was made. So... An Ortec, an Ortec cover isn't a, isn't my interpretation of of the music on on you know on the album. It's based on an interpretation, or it's based on creating something, some art in parallel with their art. And I don't really so quite often we don't even listen to an album before we design it because I'm actually more interested in talking to the artist about what they see and why they made it and what their influences were. And then you find some kind of common ground that you can use as a, as a starting point to go in you know, on, on your own, you know, odyssey. So... Um, you listen to it eventually. Yeah, yeah, usually. Or Tekka I do because, you know, because I like it. But there, there are some things that I don't need to like it, you know. I don't, Seriously, you don't need to like something to work on it. I need I need to understand it. I don't need to I don't need to it's not about for me it's not about my response to the thing it's about me understanding what it is that they're trying to achieve and if I find some common ground in you know the understanding. So we did a lot we've done a lot of work in the last sort of 10 years with uh, um, the Golbenkian Foundation in Lisbon you know and 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 we started working with them because we rebranded their music department department it's a classical music department you know and i understand so i understand what it is that they want to achieve i understand uh their audience and what their audience you know wants from any visual communication uh so you understand all the kind of the parameters and the you know the the elements involved and if you can make something work that connects the client to their audience um, and enjoy doing it and be happy with what you've done, then that, that's fine. I, I, I don't, I didn't sort of suddenly like... Very different than music, though. It's very different than a understanding a, pro, not that's a corporate project, yeah. but a project like that. Well, no, but it's classical music, you know, which I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd never really kind of paid much attention to, or, you know, an, an opera, but then you understand, you, you, under, you start to kind of look into what the audience is and, and, the, and the culture around it. And that's what interests me much more than the music, you know. So the, so the idea of Orteca is far more of an influence for me than what it sounds like, you know. 
I mean, I, I always remember, uh, so this band, Person to Person, that, you know, yeah. you invested heavily in as a young... Only because uh, I was a fan of ABC and the drummer from ABC <laughs> was in the band. <laughs> well, there you go. The, I didn't like the track. I actually bought it for the cover. Oh, there I don't want to make give you a big head, but... I'm great. But I, I remember I was the manager and we got, like, some video treatments in. There was a track called 4AM. And I think the opening lines are something like, you know, it's 4AM, I smoke another cigarette, and, you know, back in those days... But I swung this, uh, at 4 a.m. I smoke another cigarette. A light goes out in a building on the other side of town or something. And this treatment came in and he said, right, OK, the singer's going to be sort of sitting by a window. And we pan around and there's a big clock and it's 4 a.m. And he's smoking his cigarette. And then we pan and look out through the window and there's a light goes out in the building on the other side of the street. And he's just like, oh, God. Hopefully they didn't get any war work. But, you know, but, the, but, you know, that, that very literal thing. You know, and so I, and again, because I'm, I think in, for the right reasons, I'm more interested in what I do than what anybody else does. Then I work best with artists where there's a, there's a sort of an existing synergy. Sorry. I'm more interested in what I do than what other people do. But in terms of your cl the client, or in terms of other people around you, in terms uh, any, in terms so if someone of, comes to you, an artist, and so they've got this album. I've put mm. five years of my life mm. into it. Um, I really want you to do the artwork for it. Mm. Do you not connect with that? But you connect what the, with what the person's interested in, where they're coming from. I connect with them. I understand them, and I and I try to understand the audience and and, and how that five year project is best communicated. But I don't need to listen to that. Listen well, to. I it. work in a totally different way. I couldn't work on anything I didn't like. I've never been able to. I mean, each to their own. It's not yeah, yeah. right or wrong. It's <laughs> I mean, I prefer it if I like it. And, and, and it tends to be that kind of if you, if you have a connection with those people, then they're going to be people who are going to make music that you like anyway by default. So, I mean, it's, it's not that kind of thing where, you know, I, I think I once said in an interview that the client is always wrong and that's just been like, like sort of thrown back at me. And, you know, and, and, and but the reality is, is that client is, is, I assume the client is wrong because I need to, think what it is that they really want me to do and understand that clients aren't necessarily predisposed to be great visual communicators or, or, or understand. So it, it's, it's, it's about not being the good soldier that just does, oh, you know, can you design me a, a, a brochure? I'm like, well, why do you want a brochure? You know, maybe you might be better off with a website or something else or, you know, it, it's, 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 so it's, it's digging down to understand and, and I like digging into, into sort of, people I'm working with, you know, digging down into their ideas and what they're about. Again, in the Kickstarter, I think Adrian probably wrote this. Oh, no, you said this, actually. 30, I said 30 years of work pushing at the cutting edge about you. Do you think a man in his 50s is capable of that anymore? I mean, I question myself. Can you still be at the cutting edge at our age? I think... Um, and is relevance even important anymore? I think you have to keep challenging yourself, and you know. And I don't mean that thing where you, I'm going to challenge myself, and it's about you know, kind of, you know, pushing and pushing. It's, I just think that kind of, I, if if there isn't a challenge and there isn't some intellectual engagement in what I'm doing, I might as well not do it. You know, that that's that's kind of what drives me. I don't know what the cutting edge is really. It's just sort of one of those things that you say that helps sell a book, isn't it? Really. I don't. I don't really know what the cutting edge is. It's just my my instinct is to do something that that maybe isn't the obvious thing. So, when if you're designing a record cover, then the last thing in my mind is 
designing a record cover. It's always about coming up with an idea that you can then, that you could put on a record cover, but you could put it on a T-shirt, you put it on a poster, you know, you could make a quilt if you wanted. You know, it's whatever's relevant. So I think that, that the idea of doing things differently, I mean, it doesn't, I'm, I'm not... The, the important when I say, you know, it, it's about me, it's, it's if it's different for me, if it's a new experience for me or a rich experience for me, then I think I can do a better job for somebody, you know. And I think that's so in that sense, I don't, you know, my cutting edge might be a million miles away from somebody else's. But it's about, you know, that the idea of drawing a line in the sand, wherever you draw it. It's, it's down to you, but I think it's important that you do draw one. You know, in, in terms of people saying, what kind of clients would you work for? You know, would you turn down certain work and all those kind of things? I would. It's not necessarily, you know, open for discussion. It's the fact that kind of you do draw a line and there are certain things that you do, certain things that you don't, certain things that you want to do. So, I mean, I might do... I mean, there are certain things... I mean. It, I can't remember specifics. Widescreen memory, but there, but but there are certain things that I know that I've done that I've thought, are you know, I'm really pleased with that. I've achieved something. I've done more than I thought. And then someone else comes along and says, "Oh, it just looks like, looks like tomato. Or it looks like something else." You know, and it, and you think, I'm not really interested because I wasn't trying to. You talk about the competition. I wasn't trying to do, be more cutting edge than them. I'm just trying to push me. You know, and the only reason I'm trying to push me is is because otherwise I'd just be really low, low boredom threshold. One last question, kind of two parts to it. Two things that you love that I hate, potbelly itself and football. So convince me to like them in, in a few minutes. Football I don't get. I grew up in a football-loving family. Spurs, maybe it's because they're Tottenham. And they took me, I hated it, and I went the opposite direction. Potbelly eats itself. For me, at the time, I was doing record sleeves for... Eric B and Rakim, American rappers, and the last thing I wanted to hear was a bunch of white guys from, I don't even know where they were from, from Sheffield. Could, couldn't listen to it, still can't. Uh, I mean, uh, the pop will eat itself. I don't... I've given up trying to convince people of whether they should like I understand why people like it. But yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, for me, it, again, it was... Uh, we had a good relationship. Um, we had a good laugh. You know, we used, we used to have a, a thing where... Uh, a typical briefing they say oh, I've got a new single coming out can you come down to Birmingham you know and then like four days later with a really bad hangover I'd kind of head back to Sheffield and like we might have talked about I, I can only ever remember one uh, bit of direction from them really and that was I think like uh, two days into like you know full on you know bender it was just like oh we quite like it to be red yellow and green this time I don't I, I do, I like Pop Will Itself. I'll tell you what I liked about Pop Will Itself, and, and, and I think that kind of, this is where we kind of differ, the, the purity of American hip-hop and that. You know, purity for me is, is just like the worst, you know? It, it, I don't want pure things. I think things, I want things because that... Authenticity are, is different than purity, I think. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, but then I don't know about authenticity, you know, it's like... You, you can't get more authentic than pot will eat itself in the context of pot will eat itself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's that. So what I like, and I liked, you know, it, it was it was the same thing that you know with Zig Zig Sputnik, that I like them. Yeah, but but people that that I, mean, I used to the band the band that I used to manage were like a bit of musos, and they were just going it's disgraceful. They're just like dressed up like weirdos, and they don't even play their instruments. And I'm going like fucking great. <laughs> You know, why couldn't you be like that? You know, 
and and so so it's probably I'd like I like anything that that's kind of um, that's mashed up that's a kind of mongrel sort of thing and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you know but I I, I just you know. Honestly, it's a silly question. I never even expected you to answer it, so I'm really happy you did. <laughs> but but I, I get the same, you know, in working with you know with you know like it's people that I oh, they only listen to techno or they only listen to sort of minimal house or or you know I'm just like just listen to everything and you know just I, I like the fact that everything's kind of mixed up and or should be mixed up, you know. And I mean, I'm not making like you know big kind of like political things like you know sort of you know you know. M- Everything's mixed up, kind of culturally and racially. But I just, I just don't get the idea of why you'd want, so, why, why. I mean, for me, why you want something to be pure? It just seems a bit dull. Like I've, I get that. What if you mix it with something else? And what if you do that? And so a lot of, and again, you know, like, I mean, I don't know how much it comes out in the work, really. But I mean, it's, it's, and that's why I like Pop Elite itself. It's just because it was a kind of a fuck off attitude, and. You know, we're going to mix all this. We're going to do this, that, and the other. And football is like I don't. You know, <clears throat> it's the social thing. It's the it, it's the, it was the kind of the semi-religious thing of like. So every Saturday we used to have to we used to go like to the same pub, you know, and then you'd have to have three pints because if you had two or four, that might impact on the result, <laughs> you know. And the whole Nick Hornby thing of like you know you get in the pie foil and you had to fold it up and you had to fold it in a certain way and put it in your left pocket. You know, and if and you know, and if Sheffield Wednesday lost, which they kind of did quite a lot, then at least it wasn't your fault. Whereas, like, if you'd have put it in your right backhand pocket, it would have been your fault. So there was, and there was a, there was a, there was a social thing about it. Like on a Saturday, you know, it, it, when Wednesday were playing away, you know, I didn't really know what to do on a Saturday. I mean, now I've got kids, I you know, I I, I know what to do, but then I just didn't really know what to do, you know. So it, there was the whole thing that. It, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know if I really like football. Oh, I thought you, you know, loved it. I, I, I love the whole thing around okay. it. The ritual of it. The ritual of it. You know, I mean, it, I mean, it was always like good for, you know, nice for a good chat, you know, and going for a few beers. And then, and then, and then after the game, you go back into town and we go to the forum and then sort of, you know, and then just drink until you couldn't anymore. Um, but that, and, but that was like ritual. I, I mean, watching football on TV, I'm just like, you know, and, and especially like with with friends of mine who, who never really go to a match, but they'll talk about the tactics and da 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 da. da. It's like it's a bit like the kerning and leading kind of thing. Just shut up, you know what I mean? It's like I'm not really interested, you know. But yeah, but uh, yeah. So so football, yeah, I do like football, but it's but the the reason I sort of talk about it more is 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 again, it's that social connection. It's understanding why people do what they do and why they think what they think. You know, and it, it's it's a, so it's a similar thing like the whole consumerist thing where I'm, I kind of, I'm not saying that I've never done this, but you know why people spend their spare time going shopping when they're not really looking to buy anything. What are you can do on Saturday, I think we'll have a look around the shops. What for? Oh, nothing really. I'm just gonna look around the shops. Fucking hell. <laughs>